Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 155, More Turkey Calling Mistakes. And I am your host, and the guy who got all of his emergency farming done this past weekend. I have gotten all of the food plots planted that I needed to plant, but I still have three more that I want to plant. So I most likely will be going and spreading some seed on those three plots sometime this weekend. So today we are 154 days, 10 hours, 19 minutes, and 7 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. We're awfully close to that five-month mark. Time just keeps ticking right on by. Okay, so before I get into today's topic, I want to read and answer a question that I got on Facebook from a gentleman by the name of Jared Isaac. And Jared says, I am from central Indiana. After a trip to Tennessee and talking to a guy who eats and breathes turkey hunting, he has sparked an interest in hunting turkeys and in hunting in general. I have looked for information about turkey hunting in Indiana and there isn't much for someone who has no idea about hunting for turkeys. Where do you begin to look for all the information about it on the internet? Also, I began listening to your podcast to learn more about hunting. Any help I can get would be greatly appreciated. And I actually responded back to Jared, but I thought this question is one that I actually get a good bit. Whether it's via email or social media, I get quite a few people asking me where they can get information about turkey hunting because they're new to the sport. So in my response to Jared, of course I mentioned that I think he needs to listen to every episode of this podcast because I think for a new hunter there is something to get from every episode, something that a new hunter can pick up. And I also recommended that Jared pick up two books to start with. The first one is, of course, Illumination in the Flatwoods by Joe Hutto. And I am a firm believer that we have to know everything that we can know about the animal that we're hunting in order to have consistent success hunting that animal. You guys who listen to the show regularly know that. The second book that I suggested reading is Turkey Hunting, A One-Man Game by Kenny Morgan. 
And I think there's a great deal that can be learned about turkeys and the sport of turkey hunting by reading that book. Now, in addition to reading those two books, listening to this podcast, I also think it's a great idea for someone who has never been turkey hunting to actually go onto their state's game and fish department website or wildlife commission department website, whatever it happens to be called. Go on that website and look to see if your state offers mentored hunting opportunities. These mentored hunts are a fantastic opportunity for new hunters to team up with a mentor who is experienced in turkey hunting and can help to teach a new hunter a few things about the sport. Now, I also think that if Jared can get on a mentored hunt, that if he can convince his mentor into taking him two or three or four more times that season and just let him observe or even let him hunt and let the mentor call for him and kind of coach him through what's going on in the woods with the turkeys, then there's no question that that experience can knock years, years off of the learning curve of learning the sport of turkey hunting. I highly recommend new hunters go and check that out. And another good idea, you have to be careful with this, but there are some really good hunters and really good people in some of these online hunting forums. And it may be possible to go on to one of these online forums and find someone who is experienced in turkey hunting, who is willing to take you turkey hunting with them, whether it's on your land or their land or even public land. So that may be another opportunity for some of you guys. And like I said, you have to be really careful with that because you never know what you're going to get into in a situation like that. So those are a few ideas and a few suggestions that I have for you new turkey hunters who may be listening to this and want to have an opportunity to have more success. I would love to say that this is the best and the only way that you should learn, but I cannot say that. There are some very good sources of information about turkey hunting out there, and nothing can replace experience that you can pick up in the turkey woods by hunting with an experienced turkey hunter. Jared, I hope that that helped you. Thank you very much for listening to the show. I wish you much luck in the turkey woods, and I wish you a lot of luck finding a mentor who can help take you hunting as well. Now, if any of you guys who are listening to the show live in Indiana and want to offer a little bit of hands-on in the woods experience to Jared, send me an email, andy at iamturkeyhunting.com, and I will try to get you and Jared hooked up to let you take Jared on a hunt. I don't know what Jared's situation is, but I will just put the two of you together and let you guys talk and try to figure out if there's an opportunity there for you to help Jared learn the sport a little bit. So just throwing that out there, hit me up if you're willing to give it a shot. Now, let's move on to the meat of today's show. So a couple of weeks ago, I talked a little bit about some turkey calling mistakes that I think most all of us are guilty of at some point when we're turkey hunting. At least, I know I've been guilty of them myself, and 
I've turkey hunted public land enough to know that I have heard many of you guys make the same mistakes as well. Those turkey calling mistakes that I covered a couple of weeks ago are calling too much or too frequently, calling too loudly, and calling to turkeys on the roost, or in some cases calling too much to roosted turkeys, which can cause that gobbler to sit on the limb for hours waiting on that hen to come underneath his tree. Trust me on that one. I have done it too many times. And just to prove the point of how bad Alabama turkeys can be sometimes, I have had gobblers sit on the limb well past fly down because they heard me walking in the leaves. So how do I know that they stayed up there that long because they heard me walking in the leaves? <laughs> well, they just so happened to do some tree hopping. And they tree hopped and tree hopped and tree hopped about a hundred yards and landed in a tree within plain view of where I sat down and had not made one turkey sound. All I did was walk into the area and sit down and these birds tree hopped until they were in plain view of where I was sitting and they sat there on the limb for an hour and a half staring at where they last heard me. So you better believe that I learned my lesson that day and I try my hardest to approach a gobbling turkey on the roost as quietly as I can. And when I sit down against a tree to get set up to start calling that gobbling wild turkey once he hits the ground, I'm silent. There are a lot of guests that I have on this show who do call to roosted turkeys and do have success. And I'm sure a lot of you guys and gals listening to this show do call to roosted turkeys and do have success. But I am not going to take a chance. So I try to get in there as quiet as I can. And I'm certainly not going to call while I'm there. So anyway, that was the episode from a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to try not to dwell on that anymore. But today... I want to talk about four more mistakes we often make when hunting and calling to turkeys. Some of these are a bit more obscure than the others, but here we go. Number one, speaking the wrong language. Now, what I really mean by this is saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Recall your single days. And for those of you who are single, you probably shouldn't have a hard time recalling those days. And you've been talking to what seems like a lovely young lady or a handsome young man on the phone. And you ask her or him, would you like to go get some dinner Friday night? I know of a great sushi place that's not terribly far away that has an incredible sauce that they put on top of their tuna rolls. It is the best sushi I have ever had. So what do you say? You want to go? And he or she replies, Red fire trucks and green tree frogs are two of my favorite colors. Obviously, that is an exaggeration because I don't think that turkeys' vocalizations are remotely as advanced as ours. But you hopefully get my point here. 
We need to understand what each turkey sound that we make on a turkey caller means. And we need to understand the differences between those calls. We need to understand the difference between a lost yelp and a plain yelp. We need to understand what each call is and how to duplicate it. We need to understand the difference between a cut and a cackle and what they mean and when it is appropriate to use one call instead of the other. Now, if you don't know what some of the turkey calls a hen turkey makes mean, then I recommend doing some research online and going and listening to episode number 31, Turkey Calling 101 with Chris Parrish, where we talk about some of those most commonly used spring turkey calls and what those calls mean or what we think those calls mean. I'm not saying that we can or do ruin turkey hunts by saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, but if it makes a gobbler stop and say, huh, or become cautious of what is in front of him or hang up for even 10 or 15 minutes, then that is a bad thing. And hanging up a turkey for even a few minutes can be all the time that we need to convince ourselves that that joker is not coming in and we move to swat that mosquito or get up to change locations. The next mistake that I want to discuss is one that is a little bit of a gray area. All right, really, it's a lot of a gray area, and that is calling too little. So I talked about calling too much in the episode a couple of weeks ago, and now I'm saying that we can call too little. So where is the happy medium? Where is that happy place? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But first, I want to talk a little bit about calling too little. Calling too little is very much like trying to carry on a conversation about almost anything with a 13 or a 14-year-old boy. Those conversations can be very one-sided and often disinteresting for both parties. Personally, these days, I'm much more likely to call too little to a turkey than I do call too much. But I think I'm more likely to call too little to a turkey that has hung up after I've had him gobble in response to my calling a few times. I'm very quick now to play the quiet game with a turkey that has hung up. And sometimes that'll cause him to get disinterested and move off in the other direction. Sometimes he'll gobble once or twice as he walks off. And if he does, I can often reposition to try to get ahead of him or try to beat him to where I think he wants to go. I think that I personally tend to undercall more frequently than overcall because I can always call more, and generally I can get that turkey fired back up easier than I can uncall to one that I've managed to get hung up by overcalling. I also think that I tend to undercall more because I want that wary old Tom looking for the hen that he heard calling instead of being able to pinpoint my exact location through my calling every couple of minutes. So, where is that happy medium between calling too little and calling too much? What a great question. And are you guys ready for that great answer? It depends. It depends on the turkey and what he wants that day. The same gobbler may be more responsive to a talkative hen one day and unresponsive to all that turkey talk the next day. 
I know you guys have noticed how turkeys, both hens and gobblers, seem to be extremely vocal on one day and not vocal at all on the other day. But both days are practically identical weather-wise. And if you've noticed that, then you probably understand the it depends answer that I just gave. So those few days during the season when hens are extremely talkative are the days when we can generally get away with being extremely talkative ourselves. Turkey talkative, that is. In fact, I think we pretty much have to be talkative on those days because we will certainly get beat out by some hot-looking hen if we're tucked away in a honeysuckle patch, dressed in full camo, not calling. Now on those days, and that's most days, when the hens are not calling much after fly down, I think we should be a little less talkative ourselves. Now what I just said applies to either blind calling or running and gunning. So let's talk a little bit about what happens when we get a gobbler to respond to us on those quieter turkey days while we're running and gunning or blind calling. Here's the deal. We have to let that gobbling turkey tell us how much we can call to him on a given day. If he is gobbling at every sound he hears in the woods, then we can get away with calling more. But why do we need to? If he responds and sounds like he is coming to our location, then we need to get ourselves in killing mode and out of calling mode. Now, if he is not extremely fired up, but sounds like he is coming into our location, then still we need to get into killing mode and get out of calling mode. We can always call again to him if he needs some help finding us or needs some additional coaxing in. In that case, remember that soft purrs and clucks or even some scratching in the leaves can be all that we really need to finish the job. I think that if I'm going to make a turkey calling mistake while hunting, that I will opt for undercalling instead of any of the other mistakes because undercalling is very correctable. Another calling mistake that we make is not changing or switching callers. Several years ago, I went turkey hunting with a friend of mine from college, and when we started out to the woods, one afternoon for a hunt, he asked me to grab his vest out of the back of the truck. So I reached into the bed of the truck and almost threw out my shoulder when I yanked a virtually empty 16-ounce turkey vest from the truck, thinking I was going to be picking up a 6-8 to eight pound turkey vest from the bed of the truck. After I told him that someone must have stolen all of the collars from his vest, he told me that he takes two diaphragm collars into the woods with him, and that's it. He said if he can't kill a turkey using one of those two collars, then that turkey can't be killed. Now, I'm all about being confident in the turkey woods. If we can't be confident while we are turkey calling and turkey hunting, then we may as well just stay home. So I'll agree with part of what he said. If he can't kill a turkey with either of those two callers, then he can't kill that turkey. But I bet I can. I don't believe there are many turkey hunters who won't agree that on some days, some turkeys like a certain tone or a pitch in a hen's calling than they do on other days. Therefore, one day, a turkey may gobble his brains out 
to a slate pot with a purple heart striker and completely ignore a triple reed bat wing diaphragm collar. And on the next day, he may do the complete opposite. And this is why I carry many different types of collars in my vest. We need to be sure to run through several different types of collars to sound like different hens when we're running and gunning for turkeys. Now, about two or three times each season, I catch myself getting lazy and not switching collars when I'm running and gunning. So, I have to make it a point mentally to slow down and be thorough. I've already done the hard part of turkey hunting. I've gotten there. That's the hard part. So, why not enjoy being there and exhausting several different options while trying to strike a gobble? It makes sense and it works. Okay, so the last turkey calling mistake that I'm going to cover today that I think that many of us make is not practicing enough. Again, most years I'm just as guilty of this as most of you guys listening to the show are. Most of us put our collars up in our hunting closet or in our basement at the end of the season and we don't pick them up again until at most a month before our season starts. Sometimes we don't even pick them up again until we go to grab them out of our vest on opening morning and we then realize that our favorite slate collar is cracked, our box collar is warped because of moisture in our basement, and our beautiful sweet little kids hid the fact that their new cute little puppy chewed up the striker that our dad passed down to us 15 years ago before he passed away. So that is one reason why we need to constantly practice our calling because it helps us kind of stay in tune, if you'll pardon the expression, with the condition of our callers. But the main reason that we need to practice our calling is that we need to get better at calling. I'll promise you that many of the men and women you listen to on this show who we all regard as turkey hunting pros, are working on improving their calling skills, if not off and on throughout the year, then they're doing it year-round. There are several areas that we can practice on to get better. We need to practice with different types of callers that we want or need to learn how to use. For example, for those of you who say you just can't use a diaphragm caller or don't know how to use one, then now's the time to buy four or five different types and sizes of diaphragms and practice. Personally, right now I'm practicing on a tube and a scratch box. With the collars that we're good at working and duplicating our turkey sounds with, we can work on our volume and our air control so that we can have much better control of our calling with those collars that we're comfortable with. This can help us to vary those calls when we're using them in a hunting situation. In addition, we can work on the types of calls that we are not so good at. For example, I am good enough at clucking and yelping on a diaphragm, but I lack control when purring, and I'm only able to purr on collars, diaphragm collars, with certain cuts in them. So I'm working on purring on all of my diaphragms this offseason. So think about the type of collar that you want to learn to run and buy one or ten of those types of collars and practice with them. Then, 
Think about the callers that you're good at running, but the calls on that caller that you need to get better at and work on those types of calls on that particular caller. Not only will this make us better at calling turkeys in, but it will help us to be more comfortable and confident in the woods as well. And many times, not only will this make us better at calling turkeys in, but it will help us to be more comfortable and confident in the woods as well. And many times, that confidence is what we need to get a tag field and put meat in the freezer. So there are four more turkey calling mistakes that we all probably make and need to work on correcting now in the off season instead of while we're trying to convince a long beard that we are the perfect hen for him. So that's it for this week. But before I let you go, I need a favor from you, please. If you haven't already done so, please go to your podcast player and leave a five-star rating and a review. That really helps others who stumble across the show to decide whether or not to listen in. And it helps me because of that. From that point, it's up to me to keep them coming back. So, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.